there is a ton of data that supports when someone feels disconnected, seven times more likely to be disengaged, five times more likely to miss work due to stress or illness, three times more likely to underperform as compared to better connected colleagues, twice as often to think about quitting. There are tons and tons of metrics that have proven that when someone shows up to work feeling disconnected, it's very bad for their performance, their retention, their engagement, and their well-being. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important conversations on the future of work confronting business leaders and people today. As you know by now, our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the ever-changing convergence of business, technology, and people. I'd like everyone to just stop what they're doing right now, unless you're driving, of course, to imagine just for a minute that you were searching for a new job or a new career or maybe just shopping for something. And you click on the button, uh, open an application opens up, and a warning level, a warning label lists the following side effects: increased inflammation, disrupted sleep, abnormal immune response, depression, anxiety, higher stress levels, early cognitive decline, alcoholism, cardiovascular disease, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, death, and suicide. It's my guess you'd swipe left or close the window pretty quickly and avoid that. And yet, these are the side effects that nearly three out of four workers feel every month as a result of loneliness. Every month. Loneliness has the same effect as smoking 15 cigarettes every day. And we've been warned about that effect for decades. Well, you don't have to imagine that warning level anymore. This past spring, the U.S. Surgeon General rang the alarm bells and slapped a warning label on loneliness in a new Surgeon General advisory, but he wasn't the first. Our guest today is Stephen Van Cohen, the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In. He rang that bell long before our Surgeon General, and he's here today to help us understand what he describes in his book as a situation that has quickly gone from a simmer to a boil. Steve will join us in just a few minutes. But first, here's today's perfect labor storm. On each episode, we focus on a disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. In keeping with today's theme, but not stealing the show from our guest, Stephen, here's a few highlights I've discovered about the state of loneliness. First of all, loneliness is battering humanity. 72%, almost three out of four workers, feel lonely at least once a month. 55% feel lonely weekly. Loneliness shaves 15 years off a person's life. Gallup research, which many of you are familiar with, rings a few more bells and rings them louder. Those who say they are lonely are more than three times as likely as those who are not lonely to be categorized as suffering while the odds of being categorized as thriving are cut in half. 
Two-thirds of those who were lonely the previous day also experienced anger compared with just 11% who were not lonely. And 33% are who are lonely currently have or are being treated for depression nearly triple the level found among non-lonely respondents. So with 94% of leaders saying their teams are growing lonelier, it seems like a good time to heed the warning label. And I can think, I think I'm speaking for you too, Jason, but I have the sneaky, sneaky suspicion that Stephen's gonna tell us that return to the office is not the ultimate solution that many of these leaders think it is. Yeah, if only it were that simple, right, Ira? Let's just get everybody back in this building together, and that's going to solve all of these loneliness woes. We know that it's not going to be that simple, but you know, as well as I do, Ira, like my jam is all about how do we build connected organizations? And Stephen's been working on this longer than I have. But I think this is a big part of the future of work is how do we connect people in the work ecosystem in the right ways? And, and part of that is connecting to each other in the right ways to prevent loneliness. Never in a million years, though, did I ever think that this topic and challenge in businesses would actually become a public health issue, as you mentioned, um, that now we actually have the Department of Health and Government saying this is a major threat to the way that we work, to the future of our economy, to the future uh, mental health and wellness of our people. And I actually made reference almost tongue in cheek to this a few years ago about how there could eventually be a need for something like an OSHA for organizational cultures. And even though I said it tongue in cheek, we definitely still have a lot of work to be done to create healthy cultures around the globe. And what's interesting to me is that at a time when we seem to have more technology and tools that can help us stay connected, we aren't. And so why is that? Why are we still so lonely and what do we do about it, both in life and at work? And that's why we're lucky to have an expert in this area with us today and Stephen Van Cohen, the author of Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In. So without further ado, let's get to it. Let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to Stephen Van Cohen, the Master Connector. A Master Connector. I love it. Master Connector. I mean, it's almost is kind of like a master builder, like from Lego. And I guess in essence, that is kind of what you're doing, Stephen, right? I have a six-year-old. So there have been lots of Lego projects happening in my house and it's a good comparison. And your idea of having an OSHA for organizational culture is brilliant. Brilliant. I love that idea. Well, you heard it here first. That's yeah, well, true. let me tell I you, there were- it. it did happen here first. Right. Well, let me tell you, there were a lot of folks who responded to that when I put it out on LinkedIn who had the opposite effect where they were like, absolutely not. We don't need more government intrusion, but certainly that wasn't the spirit of it. But before we get into really the meat and potatoes of today's discussion, let's get to know you a little bit first and set the stage for who you are, the work that you do, and how did you become an expert on creating healthy connections with people and organizations? Yeah, that's that's a great place to start. So I've been a, a leadership consultant for the past 13 years, and I've worked both internally and externally focus on helping to make sure that leaders are set up for success in their roles. So I've been doing lots of thought leadership and keynotes and executive coaching and workshops and things of that nature. And uh, a few years ago, my business partner, Ryan, who's an expert on the future of work. So he does a lot of work around millennials and Gen Z coming into the workplace and how do you recruit and retain and develop young talent. 
So he wrote a book called The Gen Z Guide in 2018. And in 2018, he came across this statistic that 79% of Gen Zers sometimes or always feel alone. So this is pre-pandemic. And that statistic really jumped out at him because having almost 80% of an entire population, the fastest growing population coming into the workplace, feeling regularly lonely was something that really it just it grabbed us. And we started to figure out how do we help companies understand how to set these emerging professionals up for success if they're feeling disconnected and lonely. So we did research and came up with some programs and some best practices around strengthening connectedness. And then COVID hit. And we had all this stuff about feeling lonely at work and what to do about it. And we went to client after client after client, and they all agreed this was something worth talking about. And that turned into a book and the book hit the Wall Street Journal and it's turned into a full-fledged consulting business. So, you know, one statistic from my business partner has snowballed into this really massive thing that we've been hyper-focused on for the last several years. So this didn't come overnight. I know a lot of people think that the pandemic caused everything. It caused this loneliness. I know they've been talking about that's why people are disengaged and unhappy at work. And you go back for 40 years of Gallup's research and and, you know, the best it's ever been is about 30. Actually, this year was the best 33 percent engagement, which always meant that that's not a whole lot to celebrate unless you're in, in baseball, um, <laughs> where 33 percent is pretty good. But it's really horrible when, three, you know, seven out of 10 people are disengaged at work. But every but now we can point fingers at at that. But you had a really, really interesting story in the book about and, and totally unrelated. And this will probably surprise as many people here about how ATMs are one of the things that has driven loneliness to the, to the crisis it is. Yeah, well, I will talk about ATMs and why we could all point our fingers at them as one of the reasons why we're seeing loneliness levels rise. But before, I want to reiterate something you said, Ira, because loneliness has been on a steady incline for over a decade. And Cigna has been doing a lot of tracking and research around loneliness levels. And in 2018, they saw historic rises. In 2019, they saw historic rises. And then the pandemic has continued to escalate these levels to very, very dangerous and worrisome conditions, which is why you know, Dr. Vivek Murthy has come out to say, we need to do something about this globally. But part of the reason why we're seeing these increases is due to what's called the catch of convenience. And the catch of convenience is this phenomenon where our lives have gotten incredibly easy. I no longer need to go all the way to Walmart to buy something like a toothbrush. I can just get it Amazon delivered. I no longer need to talk to a barista in order to get my coffee order fulfilled. I just order it on the app and I'm able to go into the counter and pick it up. I no longer need to go to Tower Records and actually like have somebody behind a counter play me a CD so I can hear what that music sounds like before making a purchase. I can just tell Siri what I want to listen to and it happens on demand. So all of these new phenomenons that have made life really convenient have created huge gaps in the amount of social exposure that we have with one another out in the wild. And what's interesting is they found that loneliness levels can be lessened in as little as 40 seconds when people have what's called a restorative exchange. Meaning if me and you are standing in line at the grocery store and 
we smile at each other or you comment on something I'm buying or you make a comment about my child and we can just have a friendly banter back and forth. Those little touch points of feeling seen, feeling interested, sharing a laugh or a smile, just having a moment with another person is very, very important to our overall connection quota. And that quota is getting diminished every single time we go to the ATM versus going to the bank to talk to a teller or use any of the different conveniences we now have access to in our life. And while it's amazing that we live in this world where life has gotten pretty easy and convenient without a counterbalance and without some intentionality of finding new ways to build up our connection quotas, they're just not happening. And that's why we're seeing these big divides occur with these feelings of loneliness. Yeah, it's it's so amazing because I'm going back and I've got a couple decades on both of you guys. So I remember when I lived in Philly, we lived, I lived outside of Philadelphia, but we was on Saturday night if we need if I needed money to go out to eat, we used to I used to drive down to Center City, which was about a half hour drive to go to the ATM because obviously you you weren't going to get we couldn't withdraw money any other time. But the reality is there was a line there. There was there was a line of people because it was new. And that's where people went. But when we think now about, uh, you know, and, and by the way, for all the Gen Z and probably the millennials listening to this, they don't even know what we're talking about because there were lines when you went to the bank, especially at lunchtime, there, there were literally ropes guiding the people in there, just like you would through TSA or a concert. Um, it took that long to go in and deposit your check or withdraw some money or, or check what you want. Uh, and now there's just a multitude of things that we can do just you know on our phones, most things, uh, that now we don't, I don't even have, my the bank literally is walking distance from my house. And I don't know the last time I've been inside the bank Yeah. because I can either do everything direct deposit or I can scan the check from my desk rather than drop it off at the bank. Yeah, I, I am not a proponent of having to go back to a world and where we don't have these conveniences, right? Because they're amazing and I love them very much. But the awareness around the fact that we're no longer getting as much exposure is really important. And there was some research that actually found that the amount of your cognitive diversity among your connections is a very strong indicator for your feelings of happiness and overall connectedness. So there are, are what's called strong tie connections, like close friends, family members, colleagues that I maybe work with on a regular basis. And then there are weak tie connections, the people I might see regularly at the stores I go to, or if I take public transportation, the people I might sit next to on a bus or an airplane, those weak tie connections where we tend to just put our head down and look at our phone or read a book or put on our noise canceling headphones and just do the things that separate us from the people around us, the amount of those weak tie connections and the diversity of those connections has been proven to allow us to feel really strongly connected. And those are just, again, you know, are diminishing as we become more and more dependent on the conveniences of our life. So you, you mentioned this earlier in the show um, about how you found the leaders were being receptive. And that was one of the questions that we're going to have. Uh, you're going to companies now. I, I'm wondering how widespread that is, because there's still, you know, we still talk about soft skills. We still have people talking about set employee satisfaction and engagement where we've moved well beyond that into meaningful work and mattering at work. 
So there, there's certainly organizations that have taken it to a higher level and sort of get it. But there's many organizations that, you know, I, I just don't see being that receptive. And when you say about lonely and they go, well, that's their problem. I pay them and just show up for work. Yeah. I think that mindset, Ira, definitely still exists. But I think it's now, you know, the minority with regards to most leaders and most organizations. As I've had lots of conversations with thousands of leaders around the world in all kinds of different industries, only a select few really are not receptive to this idea that we need to have a work environment where people feel strongly connected to each other, to their boss, to the mission of the company, to their clients and the people that they serve with whatever they do. And that idea is, is pretty novel. And, and it doesn't take a genius to be able to understand if someone goes to work and doesn't care about their colleagues, doesn't care about the relationship with their boss, has a hard time connecting with the people they're working alongside, that's probably bad for their engagement and their productivity and their performance and their well-being. So it's not a huge leap to be able to go from, you know, we should create more connections within the teams and leaders going, yeah, we should. That that makes sense. And luckily, for those leaders who don't make that leap pretty organically, there is a ton of data that supports when someone feels disconnected, seven times more likely to be disengaged, five times more likely to miss work due to stress or illness, three times more likely to underperform as compared to better connected colleagues, twice as often to think about quitting. There are tons and tons of metrics that have proven that when someone shows up to work feeling disconnected, it's very bad for their performance, their retention, their engagement, and their well-being. So, you know, I have a, tre- a treasure trove of all this information that I use at my disposal to get leaders to really understand we got to take this seriously and we need to invest in doing the things that build more connectedness among the workforce. I couldn't agree with you more that this is the quintessential challenge of of the future of work is how do we connect people in the right ways i'm curious hopefully you didn't touch on this while i was away for a minute or two but to what extent is technology helping or hurting us right now when it comes to connecting with each other that's an awesome question let's start with the definition and ira you alluded to this at the beginning of our conversation the definition of loneliness is interesting because loneliness is not defined by the absence of people It's defined by the absence of connection. And we know this because we could be surrounded by people and feel incredibly lonely. In fact, if I'm in an office with other coworkers and I'm not getting the type of interactions that I desire from said coworkers, I'm going to feel even more lonely because I'm going to feel like, what's wrong with me? (laughs) Like I'm in this environment, there's all these people around me and yet I'm not getting what I need during my interactions to feel seen, valued, appreciated, desired, interested in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So technology, while it creates um, a, a, a bit of a gap between how we're able to interact and the frequency of our interactions, technology in and of itself is not the culprit. So what is important is if we are using Zoom or any kind of Slack, or we're having a lot of digital communications, I need to be more intentional about moving from communicating with you to connecting with you. Because communication is not connection. Communication is the sharing of information between two people. And if we're just talking about tactful things of like, who's doing what, by when, where, and how, 
and it's just information share, our frontal lobe is a part of the brain that processes that experience of data and information. When I feel connected to someone, that happens in the back part of our brain, totally separate region. Connection is when two people get in sync. When someone really listens to you, when someone asks you insightful questions and shows they're really curious about those answers. So connecting requires some additional steps while we're communicating. And what happens is when we're using technology, those steps don't just happen organically. It takes a bit more intentionality. So I have clients who work in fully remote environments who have very connected teams. And I have clients who have in-person teams who are very connected and it kind of falls in between. So it's less about how we're using technology and more about the intentionality of what we do when we're together in an in-person or a digital world. We've skirted this issue a little bit and you brought this up before. You you did talk about solitude, but I I know there's a a distinct differentiation and and I just want to make this clear because I think this will help people understand where we're going, is loneliness, isolation, and solitude. Is comparing those. So can you kind of elaborate on that just a bit? Yeah, being alone is neutral. Could be good, it could be bad. It depends on where you're at with your quota of connectedness to either move from being alone into solitude, which is restorative, and we'll talk about why that is, or moving from being alone into isolation and loneliness, which is really negative. So each person has their own quota for what they require in order to feel connected. I am like uber extrovert, like on the far end of the extroverted spectrum. So my quota is very different from my partner, Ryan, who is totally introverted. So what I need and what he needs vary. So each person is going to have their own unique quota. But when that quota is not met, that's when we start to experience and feel that loneliness. So it takes shape for all of us in different ways at different times. But solitude is really restorative when I am purposefully alone in order to reconnect with myself. And it's very hard to connect with others unless I've had time to check in on me and to think through how am I doing and to process any of the things that I'm dealing with. And having that time, that aloneness, can be really good to get back to a state where I'm now able to show up for others. If I'm craving social connectedness and it's not happening and I'm just alone all the time, not by choice, that's when we're going to start to see loneliness creep in. And that's when being alone is problematic. So yeah, there's different variations just depending on what people need and where they're at with regards to their their connection levels. So as, as managers and employers, and we have lots of those listening and they're looking for solutions, you know, how, how could they differentiate between that? I mean, and, and you guys got young kids and we got young grandchildren. It's like, how do you differentiate between somebody being lonely and bored or, or lonely or just bored or just alone sitting there? You know, and it doesn't mean that they may be reflecting and thinking and they're, they're okay. They're okay. And they're in that neutral spot. But how, how does a manager, how, how can we as outsiders recognize the difference uh, between loneliness, isolation, and solitude? Yeah, it's very hard. Unfortunately, there's not like, like a sign that people hold up that says like, hey, I'm lonely. <laughs> like there's, there's no, no alarm that off, <laughs> there's no flashing light. It's really hard. Now we know that when people start to feel lonely, 
So it's interesting to put some context around the sensation of loneliness because loneliness is simply just a signal. Like when I'm hungry, that's my brain's way of saying, you need to go get something to eat. Your body's requiring some kind of nourishment. When I'm lonely, that's just my brain's way of saying, you need to forge a connection. Like it's been a while and you are depleted in this particular area and you need to fulfill that depletion with some kind of a human to human touch point. So when my loneliness is starting to kick in and I'm feeling depleted and my brain saying, you need this nourishment and you're not getting it, what tends to happen is people tend to retreat inward. Instead of just going to get an apple, like I'm hungry, which is like an easy solution to that signal, people go inward and they further remove themselves and become reclusive because when someone's feeling lonely, they're already disappointed with the level of connection they have in their life. And to further put themselves out there and to further get disappointed is a bit risky. So we start to see people go into this downward spiral where they get more and more disconnected. So at work, some of the signs might be people are showing up late to meetings. People are not having their cameras on. People are starting to just not participate as much. They're not asking as many questions. They're not, you know, being more proactive with asking for projects or different things that they need. If you notice that they're starting to just kind of waver in the background, that's a clue that maybe this person is not feeling as connected as he or she should be to our group. And there's an intervention that we might need to have. But outside of that, it's really hard to know specifically that when someone does this, they're lonely because it shows up a bit differently for all of us, depending on where we're at with our loneliness journey. And it seems like our our typical response of what we try to do to step into that space, whenever we notice something's off, maybe that team member is not putting their camera on as, as normally as they would. Does sometimes our typical responses, do they actually make it worse? Like, hey, we need to have more meetings with people. That way we're quote unquote connecting more. Maybe I just need to communicate more with them. It seems like there's kind of like the, this balance of our natural tendency. You put it beautifully, Stephen, that communication is not necessarily connection. So just yeah. overly communicating, building in more meetings doesn't magically make people feel more connected to each other or to the work ecosystem. What are maybe just one or two simple level one tips of things you think leaders can do yeah. um, counterbalance those natural tendencies and say, no, here's a better approach to try and take to start helping people feel better connected in the workplace? There's two things that are really simple that I have my, my coaches and the clients I work with do from a leadership standpoint that's really, really effective. The first is to leverage what's called the significance effect. When I was writing the book, one of the gentlemen I got to interview is a guy by the name of Dr. Stephen Cole, and he's a professor at UCLA. And he studies loneliness from the, the neurological brain standpoint. So he's scanned hundreds of people's brains and he's understood at a neurological level, what is the impact and why is this important and what do we do? And he said, the single greatest thing you can do when you think someone might be feeling lonely, especially on a team, is to go to that person with an outstretched arm and say, I need you. Like, I need your help. I need your advice. I need your guidance. I need you to do this specifically because you're so good at A, B, and C. And without you, I can't count on this project getting done. When you can make somebody feel significant, that's the quickest way to make them feel connected because we have a fundamental desire to be needed and appreciated and a part of the team, right? Like our evolutionary standpoint, 
And why loneliness is such a high threat sensation is because we knew a long time ago, if we were banned from the tribe or if we lost our tribe, our survival rate plummeted, right? Like we're not that big or that strong or that dominating as a singular entity going against a saber-toothed tiger or a woolly mammoth or any kind of huge predator of the day. So we needed to be around other humans. And when we got excluded from that group, that's why our brain says, like, you're in danger. You need to get this figured out. So helping to quell that sensation and by letting someone know they're needed, they're desired, they're appreciated, they're valued, all of those things are really impactful and simple for leaders to do in order to make sure that they're reinforcing that to someone on their team who might be lonely. The second thing to do is to help provide clarity. So we could all understand that if we're wandering out in the woods with no map, we don't know where we're going, we don't know who to turn to, we don't have the resources we need, that sensation is going to feel really lonesome. And at work, that happens all the time, right? So leaders who are really good at making sure there's a clear path to success, and when leaders can have really quick 10-minute one-on-one informal check-ins, either at the beginning or end of the week to say, A to F, what was your last week like? Or if it's on a Friday, what was this week like? And someone can say, this was a B week. Why? Well, this went really well. And this is what happened. And when you can give a few weeks of giving people scores, if they're continuously in C, D, or F scores, then that's a pretty big indicator that there's something really going on with this individual that I need to help with. And that's when you can provide clarity on how to go from a D to a B or an A. So having some informal checkpoints just to really get a pulse on how are you doing, what are you doing, what's working, what's not, shows from a leadership standpoint, I care about you. I'm interested in your success. I'm able to coach and guide you within a quick exchange. And by giving me a score, I'm able to track how are you doing, and I could adjust based on whatever that consistency is with those scores. So those are two things that I would recommend that have worked really well with the leaders I work with. And we're going to continue that conversation when we come back. I know you have a framework, basically a four-step process, which probably an expansion of what you just shared. So we can talk about that a little bit. Also love to know is like, what were the most shocking things that you found out? Because I mean, you've been studying this for quite a while and and, uh, sometimes uh, that's very helpful for people because they they think they're alone and and yet there may be a lot of other, maybe a trend, maybe a lot of other people in that same boat. So uh, we're talking with uh, Stephen Van Cohen today. Uh, We're talking about the epidemic of loneliness uh, or as we titled the episode, the Lonely Hearts Club. How not to be a member of that? Not, not, not one. It's not an. Unfortunately, it's not an exclusive membership. Um, no. But we don't want to. We we don't want to be have have people part of that. In fact, we want to have people not join or or quit the quit the club <laughs> over time. Uh, we're going to take a really really quick break. Uh, we will be right back and stay tuned. Are your employees feeling stuck and just showing up for a paycheck? Is your workforce working harder to get back to normal than adapting to the future? It's time to help them break their addiction to certainty and develop a growth mindset. Developed by one of the world's top-rated future of work thought leaders, AQ Plus Mindset is a powerful tool to help your employees embrace change, adapt faster, and grow on the job. Conveniently delivered to any smartphone or laptop and easy to digest 5-10 to minute lessons. Managers can sit back and watch employee attitude shift towards growth and innovation in just 30 days. Are you ready to help your employees thrive in this ever-changing, never-normal world? Encourage them to show more grit, 
resilience, adaptability, and unlock their potential? The journey to a growth-filled future starts with a growth mindset. Visit aqplusmindset.com or call 484-373-4300. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're here with Stephen Van Cohen from lesslonely.com. He'll explain that it's not a dating site. <laughs> uh, as we get into that, we've been talking about the uh, the crisis of loneliness in the workplace. And Jason, when when you started, you, you referenced this, and I actually carved uh, in rewriting my intro, I carved that out. But uh, I was on the same page. I mean, I, I've I've been doing this podcast for six years, and if we looked at a list of a hundred topics of what we thought we would cover over the first 100 episodes, loneliness would not have been on that list. We were talking about HR tech and recruitment and retention and engagement and experience and you know then a pandemic and all, all those other things. But loneliness would have not have been at the top yet. I don't know how many times we've either talked directly about that over the year or, or the effects, maybe the symptoms of that, mental illness, disengagement. I, I think, Stephen, I don't want to take the words out of your mouth, but I think you talk about disengagement, disloyal, dis, disillusion. Is that? Yeah, well said. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the three Ds and uh, you have a framework for that. But I, you, you've had a massive study. And, um, you know, I know we talked about this last week with our guests as well. And what what were some of the more surprising things? I know you talked about, you know, that almost 90 percent of, of Gen Z. We're, we're lonely or 80 percent of Gen Z were lonely. But what were some of the what were some of the other, I guess, surprising stats or trends and, and troublesome ones that you you uncovered? The, I mean, the biggest surprise is how much connection matters to our health and well-being. We intuitively know that having strong relationships and connections with others is important. It feels good when we have a community in place. But to the degree of which it really impacts our long-standing happiness and our health and our longevity is so shocking. So Ira, you mentioned at the beginning that chronic loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's a very well-known statistic and it's been referenced a lot, but what hasn't been referenced is why that is. And when I understood the mechanics of why that is, it puts loneliness into a much more important topic and and experience to figure out. Because what happens is when I feel excluded from a group, the part of the brain that is registering that sensation is the same part of the brain that registers physical pain. Similarly, when I mentioned, right, many, many evolutions ago, if we got banned from the tribe, our risk of survival plummeted. Well, that's the part of the brain where loneliness flashes. That means when someone feels lonely, especially on a regular basis, the body goes through a fight or flight response. That fight or flight response releases very dangerous and harmful stress hormones. And the chronic supply of stress hormones is what causes all of those ailments that you listed in the warning label. So when we think about people literally coming to work, feeling you know under a high stress state, under a fight or flight sensation with their brain on fire, That just changes the way that I'm thinking about people feeling this way from, yeah, we should probably have more connectedness to, my people are debilitated. It's impossible to do deep, meaningful work if they're 
fighting through these sensations. So that was a huge takeaway. The Harvard study of adult development, which we reference in the book, was another huge takeaway. 80 plus years, 2000 plus subjects, they've looked at medical records and they've done psychological analyses and they've looked at every variable they can think of to figure out from this subset, what is it? Like, What is the definitive answer to a long and healthy life? And hands down bar none, they realize that the answer to long and healthy life is strong connections with the people around you more than all kinds of other things. And the significance of all of that is really important. The other big takeaway for me is this idea that connections don't have to be lasting to be meaningful. And I fly a lot for work. And it has been commonplace for me to show up with my noise canceling headphones as soon as I sit in my seat. And that's the signal like, don't talk to me. I got my own thing going on. I'm not interested. And when I realized that Connections don't have to be lasting to be meaningful. I talk to almost every single person who's willing to talk to me on a flight, on a train ride, standing in line at the grocery store. And I have opened up myself to mingle with people that I normally wouldn't mingle with. And it's transformative. Like we take for granted how good it feels to share a smile with someone or to ask somebody a question and to see them light up because they're really interested in telling you the answer. And uh, I've put way more emphasis in, in creating those moments in my life because of the research that I did for the book. So those are a couple of the big ones. There's several more, but I'll stop there and see if there's anything else you want to know about that. Well, Stephen, I'm one of those people that if someone's on the plane and they have the headphones on, I'm tapping them on the shoulder to start a conversation. So all those in Googleization Nation, if you're ever on a plane and you see <laughs> me and you don't want to talk, you're just going to have to put a sign up that literally says, no, Jason we don't want to engage or connect in some way. Well, but, let me uh, ask you, Jason, when yeah. you have had all of these conversations with people, you know, especially on airplanes, what is that like for you? Talk to me about that sensation. I love it. And I hope they do too. Um, for me, I, I love serendipitous moments. The, yeah. the things that you're talking about, I, I never pass up an opportunity. If there's someone nearby to get to know them, what's their name? Where are they from? Do it at concerts a lot too much to my wife's chagrin. And I think I get that honestly from my dad. My dad would do a lot of that. You know, just, just I think, connect. You are trying to connect with people on a certain level. And even though you may never see them again, it's just want to notice you. Like want to ask you a few questions and just connect on, just on that, you know, surface level in some way that provides that feel good feeling. And, and hopefully for them as well. And one of the questions I have for you, Stephen, is that there was a, a company that made headlines here just a few months ago, because what they did was they fired all of their managers and they hired coaches instead. Now, I'm not suggesting companies do that. Hopefully there was opportunity to see which managers are open and willing to develop the skills to become a coach. But they took this approach because the feedback they got from most of their people in the company was, I need a coach. I don't need a manager in order to do my job well and to feel good and drive value in the marketplace for myself and, and for the company. I guess my question for you from that, Stephen, is, is, is part of the solution now that we know work is a social determinant of health and we have to get those connections right, should we be evolving from managers into more of coaches in our cultures that we have? My, my short answer is yes. Now, do we replace all managers with ICF accredited coaches? No, I don't think that's the way to do it. But it's interesting 
because my partner Ryan, who I referenced earlier, he wrote a book called the uh, he called uh, Managing Millennials. All right, the it's all about how to manage millennials in the workplace. And he wrote the book several years ago. And the number one attribute that they use to describe the ideal leader is that of a coach. So I think there is this shift in having more of an authoritarian, top-down, really experienced person who's just going to tell us what we do or just kind of put, put us in the right direction to having leaders who now really have a vested interest and are willing to listen and ask questions and, and guide us versus just saying that's the path. Coach is great at, here's the options of the path. Which one are you thinking you want to go down and why? Let's talk about it. That's very different from a leadership standpoint. And as I work with lots of leaders, the leaders who do a really good job of just naturally coaching and showing interest and giving guidance and advice and listening, like great coaches are great listeners. So if you're really listening to understand versus listening to fix, you're going to have a whole new level of being able to just tap into the potential of your team that is pretty powerful. So I am a big believer and proponent that leaders should do more coaching and less task, top-down authoritarian driving because the research is pretty clear that that leadership style has been proven to work quite well. Well, that just aggravates the brain. Like you mentioned earlier, the cycle of I'm stressed the last thing I want is for my manager or boss to come keep tapping me on the shoulder. When's this going to get done? When's this going to get done? I may need a coach to help ask the right questions of what obstacles are preventing us from being able to meet this deadline. How can I support you? Those are the kinds of ways that we've got to improve those connections with people to get over some of these systemic problems that we've built in and have become habits of how we operate in workplaces. One of the biggest things, Jason, that is the detriment allowing the the energy we need in order to do the type of stuff you mentioned is time, right? We just like, we're too busy. And busyness is one of the main reasons why we've seen loneliness increase. I just have less margin to do the things I need to do in order to have those pro-social experiences with others. And I always get into this argument with leaders about, I don't have time to do it. <laughs> like there's other things we need to do. But then I come back and say, what's more important? Like if you have a team of people who don't really trust one another. They don't really feel comfortable speaking up. They're not going to challenge your directives. Therefore, they're going to do things they don't feel comfortable with or are unsure of. They're not going to ask for help. All of these mistakes and fires and reworks and all of this stuff that we have to go back and fix is because oftentimes the fabric of our connection is frayed and it's not strong. And long-term, if we look at it from a macro 300-foot view, that's really bad for our business and for our success. So to not spend any time really cultivating opportunities for those things to take shape, it baffles me because I think it's absolutely quintessential for the team's dynamic to, to be one in which is going to cultivate success for their organization. And, and I mentioned this earlier, and, and before we run out of time here, Stephen, I want to give you at least a, a, a few minutes to describe you, you've built a framework. You're just not going in and winging this. I mean, you got a process and a framework. So can you just briefly describe the framework? And obviously, if other people want to know that, then they can go purchase your book or call you directly and, and uh, the book's connectable. But uh, describe your framework just for, for us. Yeah. So like all great frameworks, it's an acronym. The acronym is LINK, L-I-N-K. The L stands for looking at loneliness. So the first step 
either in solving loneliness for yourself or for others is to be aware of it. We say awareness is curative. You can't fix what you don't know. So in the link phase, there's all these things for how to audit your loneliness and the loneliness of others. And there's some tools and resources for how to do that in the book. The second, the I is to invest in connection. Creating more connectedness is not hard. It's not difficult. It's not overly taxing, but it does require some time and some energy and some effort. So when we say invest in connection, that word invest is very important. So there are certain things that we can do to invest in making time for connectedness to take place. Building like a social regimen is one of the strategies I love, right? We dedicate time for working out. We dedicate time for single tasking and doing deep work. We dedicate time for meetings. We dedicate time on our calendar for all of these things. We need to dedicate a block of time, if not just for once a week, for an hour to do socially responsible things that build connections with the people around us, a social regimen. So that's investing in connection. The third is what's called narrowing the focus. And we found that there's all of these subsidiary activities at work that allow teams to feel connected to each other. For example, learning lessens loneliness. So when teams can learn together, they're able to have a lot of exposure that's connective. They're building skills, which makes them feel more valuable to the group. And there's all these um, impacts that learning brings from a connection standpoint. So that chapter is all about how to narrow the focus by doing these exercises at work. And then last is to kindle the momentum. Our level of connectedness is not one in which, like I connect with you, Jason, one time and my quota is full forever. It's like the depleting battery of our phone, right? Like I don't charge my phone once and it's charged for a year. I have to charge that sucker every single day in order to get it to do what I need it to do our connection levels are the same. So kindling the momentum is this idea that you've already had the spark by looking at loneliness and investing in connection and narrowing the focus. Now, what do you do to take that little connection spark and grow it into a big flame? There's all kinds of things you can do to sustain the momentum. So those are the four components to the model. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to each one in the book. And thanks for sharing that. And I think that was important. It was a great wrap up. Is I think during the course of the conversation, we touched on a little bit of each of those four, but this at least gave a little bit of a process, but there's a, there's a, a ton more to go into. We, we always like to close this, uh, this part of the, the show up uh, with this question, is what should we have asked you, but we didn't? Uh, what should you have asked me that you didn't? What you should have asked me is, how can you get comfortables? How can you get leaders comfortable with addressing a topic that is very uncomfortable to address? The book is called Connectable for a reason. We wanted to call it Rescuing a Lonely Workforce. Our publisher, McGraw Hill, said you cannot use the word lonely in the title or subtitle of the book, even though the entire book is about loneliness. And it's because that word is very stigmatized and charged. And this talk about having lonely employees and what to do is also one where leaders can get nervous and say like, that's not my problem. I don't want to wade in those waters. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable just thinking about that. So one of the questions you could have asked is how do leaders really do a good job of addressing this without addressing it head on? And the simple solution for leaders to do that is to be more curious, ask more questions, and to make sure that they're dedicating time with individuals on their team to show them that they really care and admire 
with individuals without ever having to address their feelings of disconnectedness in those sessions? So that's a good question. And we could have gone into a pretty good conversation around how to do that specifically. Well, that was beautiful, Stephen. And for those who like volleyball, that kind of reminded me of Karch Karai and Kent Steffes right there. That was a beautiful setup and then a spike to close out that segment. So perfect, perfect. Okay, now we're going to hit up our lightning round. It's time to get to know you a little bit better. We want to connect with you on a deeper level and help our audience yes. do the same to get to know the more personal side of Stephen Van Cohen. So for those who are watching the show, you can see in the background, Stephen has a guitar in the back. So we're going to kick off with this question right here, Stephen. What's a favorite band or song? My, one of my favorite bands is Paul Simon. And I love Paul Simon because he's got such an eclectic repertoire of music. So if you want blues or folk or Americana or funk or, you know, African, like tribal, like he's got such a vast repertoire and I love it. And one of my favorite songs is an unknown song of his called Father and Daughter. And it's a love song to his daughter and I have two daughters. So uh, that song holds a special place in my heart. That's perfect. And that's one of my father-in-law's favorite songs too, as well. Awesome. Uh, okay. Next one here. Let's move into if there's one person in the history of the world that you've never met that you could spend the day with, who would it be? It would have to be maybe like a fifth or sixth removed ancestor. I think it would be really cool to meet, you know, like a great, 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 great grandfather and just get a feel for what life was like a few hundred years ago and to see how similar or different are we as the genealogies have been passed down from generation to generation. And I've always been super fascinated with that. So someone along that heritage would be the person I'd want to spend some time with. I love that. And I got to be honest, I love the fearlessness there of you not having any fears of going back in time, talking with a relative and potentially doing something where maybe something would happen where you wouldn't then exist. Right? I, didn't, uh, I didn't think about that phenomenon. So now maybe I have to reconsider if there's impacts to my my being born then i don't know i might have to choose a different we're going we're going too deep on that one but i just found it fascinating because i think you're our you're our first guest who actually other than choosing a spouse for some brownie points yeah selected kind of a relative from the past going back several generations i love that and i love the reason for it too all right and then how about this one if there's one hidden talent or something that stephen van cohen is known for that might surprise people, what would it be? I'm a phenomenal dancer. Like, nice. don't let the beard fool you. I got moves uh, that I like to put out there on the dance floor. And my six-year-old is into dancing. So every Friday night, we'll usually have a dance-off, me and her. And, you know, she's getting pretty good, but dad still takes home first place most evenings. So that would be a hidden talent that most people wouldn't guess about me. I love it. Dancing with the stars. And that's the first time we've gotten dancing as a hidden talent. There you go. There you go. Perfect, Stephen. So before we let you go, just one more time, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you and learn more about the work that you're doing around connections in the workplace? Yeah, I'm easily accessible via LinkedIn. So hit me up at Stephen Van Cohen. And that's uh, probably the the quickest place. You could also go to lesslonely.com and has... Ira mentioned it is not a dating site. It is a purely professional resource for how to create more connectedness within organizations. So lesslonely.com has got tons of free 
assessment tools and all kinds of videos and stuff that go way deeper into the things that we started to scratch the surface on today. So that's a great place also. And if you contact uh, me through that website, I'm the one who gets all of those inquiries. So feel free to touch base there as well. Perfect. Stephen, we can't thank you enough for being on with us today. This is absolutely enlightening. And I know it was for our listeners as well. And we want to stay connected with you and have you on again in the future as you help us understand how we can do our small part with creating better connected organizations. I'm going to send it back over to Ira, but it was really an honor to get to know you better today and learn about your work, Stephen. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, you absolutely rocked it today, Stephen. Uh, obviously, a very difficult topic, but uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for accepting uh, our invitation to join. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more again, and uh, we'll be we're reaching out. This is going to be a topic that goes on. In fact, the next couple of weeks, we've got people that are going to be great follow-ups to this, and uh, uh, we are looking at doing a panel sometime in the future. And this, uh, hopefully, you might be able to you you'd be willing to join us. Absolutely. I would love to, Ira. Thanks. Okay. Stay safe. Stay connected. Bye, everyone. Ira, sometimes there are just certain topics that you that you hear about and you think, well, you can't really go that deep, right? Connection is connection. And then when you when you get the chance to speak with an expert on connection, you realize how many important layers there are that we often don't think about to it. For you today, what were some of those aha moments or big takeaways that you got from Stephen? You know, I had read his book or, or uh, most of the book and, you know, did some research ahead. So a lot of this was kind of reiteration of there. Uh, but I think the two things that struck home, because sometimes we just get overwhelmed with information. One was that parts of our brain that uh, are triggered when we experience loneliness are the same parts of the brain that when we feel pain, physical pain. And, and, and it was a good reminder of that, but I, I'm not sure that a lot of other people thought we, you know, might might not make that connection. And the other one, I think just was, I mean, he was very collegial, um, you know, very easy to listen to. Um, he didn't he didn't talk about all the neurotransmitters and the brain things that, that are going on that was sometimes we overwhelm people, you know, with that. But I, I think just the, the fact is, is that connections, I, I think, he, and he reiterated this a few times, is connection is is about a quota. It, it is everybody has a different quota, and 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 just because somebody's alone and maybe self reflecting and reading does not mean they're a lonely person. They just may their quota just me low, and they're very happy, and they're not feeling all these ill effects of loneliness. Well, there's other people that may have a zillion friends. And a thousand followers or hundreds, tens of thousands of followers on LinkedIn or Facebook or, or Pinterest or whatever, but they're as lonely as can be and they're in trouble. And, and I think it's, and they just have a higher quota. And it's a matter of, you know, the challenge, as he said, was very difficult for managers. How do you, how do you do that? And uh, the good news is, and I, I'm going to put a plug in here for a future one, then we'll hear from your take up. When he said that, we have two neuroscientists coming on the show, Michael Platt from uh, Wharton, uh, University of Pennsylvania, and then also Paul Zach, who we becoming, uh, he has a company called Immersion Technology. What, what I love about both of them, they both have tools that actually help measure connectivity, which is fascinating. When I was talking to Paul last week or two weeks ago, he, he looked at his watch and then he held up and he goes, hey, see, 
he goes, he's looking at his watch and he goes, we're connected. And it was measuring the variability of his heart rate. Um, so it was like, yeah, this is a good conversation. Look, we're connected. So the technology will be able to help managers figure that out in the future. So everybody stay tuned. We got a great couple of weeks coming up. That's right. Don't take those out on a date, though. If you're going out on a date for the first time, probably not good to be like, hey, we're having a good date. Check out the, the connection on the watch here. But um, all kidding aside, I totally agree with you on the connection quotient and that being different for each person. I think that's a really important uh, consideration for managers in particular. You can't show recognition the same way to everybody on your team. You've got to get to know them on a personal level to know what fills their buckets and what makes them feel connected. Because I guarantee you, even if you're only managing a team of two, three, four, five people, they're all going to be very divergent in that regard. And then the other one for me too, two simple things that he said for leaders to do, two takeaways today. You need to rethink how you're doing. What was it? It was uh, clarity. So make sure that you're communicating with clarity and then the other one had to do more with like reinforcement. The com communication isn't just necessarily connecting with people, but that you've got to focus on the way that um, your need, that's what it was, how you're communicating need to people that they need, their significance. And so if there's two things that you walk away with today, if you're a business leader, rethink employee recognition practices of how you communicate need to people that's specific to them. And then also, how do you communicate with clarity in your check-ins and one-on-ones that's more coaching related as opposed to just performance related, checking in on whether or not projects are getting done. Those two simple things are ways to help people feel better connected in the organization. But until next time, um, I'm Jason Cochran, and we want to thank you for tuning in to the show again this week. Please hit the subscribe button on YouTube, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, all of the, the different platforms, our podcast platforms too, Apple and Spotify if you haven't already done, done so, so that you can stay in the know and get our latest episodes every week. And so I look forward to seeing you then. And I'm Robert Wolf. Thank you very much for listening to Geek Skeezers Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, giving away my uh, copies of my newest book, uh, you can download a copy. Uh, you can simply, it's called The Change, Insights into Self-Empowerment. So fits in today's topic as well. Uh, you can simply you go to irawolf.com, I-R-A-W-O-L-F-E.com. You can just click on books or you can forward slash the dash change dash book. Until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. Thanks for listening to Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. This show was produced and edited by Hilton Productions.